so we're going to go ahead and, like I said, finish up today on the, the Paul's letter to the Corinthians. This is part 29, 29 weeks, a little over seven months we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, I, it's been a blessing to me. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I, I, sometimes I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, are you sure this was to the Corinthians? Because it, it seems like it might be to the, the, to the people that live in the U.S. Like so many things that they're dealing with are the same stuff that we're dealing with today. Which should that make you feel comfortable when people say, why are we listening to a book that was written 2,000 years ago? Because nothing's really changed. People are still stupid. They do dumb things. And God still has something for us. Amen? So as I'm reading this and we're finishing this up, I began to think about how it has been my job to be a parent to my kids. If you have your kids, I just want you to know that's your job too, to be their parent. Being a friend is cool, but you should actually be their parent first. But I also noticed that when I was raising my kids, that it was necessary sometimes for me to rebuke or correct my kids. Sometimes it was necessary to pop their butt. Sometimes it was necessary to ground them. All those things, it was necessary to correct my kids. Now, if any of you guys know me, and you saw me discipline my kids, I don't think any of you would ever think, man, he really hates his kids. They're, they're really, I mean, he just really doesn't like them. I mean, the way he punishes them. You would know that when I do it, I do it because I care about my kids. I want something better for them. I want them to learn. I want them to be trained. I want them to know that, that yeah, you can't go through life not doing anything and being lazy. If you want to succeed in this world, you're going to have to have a work ethic. You're going to have to do the right things. And you learn that by cleaning your room and doing the dishes. And if you don't do those things, you get in trouble. Because how many know in real life, if you don't do some of those things, you get in trouble, right? You don't do your job at work, what happens? You get fired. You don't get paid. Then you don't have anything to eat. And Lord knows I like to eat. So that stuff's important. Everything that I did for my kids, though, and I may have not done everything right, and I may have made some mistakes along the way, but everything that I did was for their benefit, was to help them grow. And I, I recognize as we've been going through this letter, like I remember when we started out in the beginning, I felt like every Sunday I was just up here like, you know, railing on people because, and that's the thing, because we, 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 we relate to what's going on because the, this, this heathen church, the, this, the society that they were living in was much like what we're living in today. And I, I just felt like everything was negative, 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 you know, and, and, uh, and I realized, though, that Paul's doing the same thing. This church is one that he raised up. These are his kids in the Lord. And he's wanting to train them and correct them and help them grow. And the reason he does this is because he loves them. So today we're going to finish out this letter. He's got a couple things, some more instructions that he wants to deal with. And uh, then, he wants, then he's going to go in and really just reiterate his love for him as he closes out the letter. So let's get started in, in chapter 16, verse 1 through 2. It says, Now concerning the collection of the saints, this is everybody's favorite topic, giving. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something, just so you know, the first day of every week in the New Testament is Sunday. So on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. How many of you guys know that giving is not a, a new thing in the modern day church? Giving and being generous has been a, around for a very long time. It's actually part of the core of who we are as Christians is we're generous. 
And we're generous because God is generous. And we are made in His image. Amen? And this particular gift was primarily uh, focused for, the, for the, those who were impoverished in Jerusalem. They were collecting this gift. They were sending it away. They weren't even collecting this stuff for the local church. They were receiving these offerings to be a blessing to the Jerusalem church because they were impoverished. And we don't really know why they were impoverished from this verse, but we know in the book of Acts eleven twenty eight through 29 it says, And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. There was probably a pretty massive famine going on. There were people that were in the need. And as it's always been, the church rises up to be a help to those who are in need. And the reality is, is that giving is not a new thing. It's not, you know, the, the, the hardest part for me to, to minister on giving, and it's always been a struggle for me, is because somehow, when I was younger, I got it in my head that, that, that there's all these pastors that want to get rich, and there's all these churches that just want to steal and take your money. And to be sure, there probably were many who were like that. They took advantage of people. But just because somebody does something incorrectly doesn't nullify the whole purpose of the, of the giving. It doesn't nullify the reality that it has to happen. It doesn't nullify any of those things. And this has been an integral part of the church since the beginning. But I do want to point out a couple things about Paul as he's talking about this giving. One, it's not just for specific churches. He says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, this is for every one of his churches, he instructed them to give and to be generous. It's also not just for specific believers. He says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. So giving is not something that just a select few of the of the churches are going to do. Matter of fact, if we'll read in, in other scriptures in Galatia, it says out of their poverty they gave so you can say well i don't have enough money then i don't have to give no that's not true to be obedient we're still supposed to give and if you have a lot of money you should definitely be giving we also do it regularly we, this is not a, 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 a an uncommon occurrence that's why we receive an offering every single sunday because this is on the first day of every week you receive this offering and we do it regularly because why so that there'll be no collecting when I come. Basically, so there's not a, a mad scramble when Paul shows up for everybody to try to put stuff together. He says, begin giving regularly now so we can meet the needs when they arise. The reason why we receive an offering every week is so that way at the end of the month when we have to write the, the, the lease for this place, which is a stinking lot of money, it's almost $4,000 a month we pay for this building just to be in here. And I don't want to have be calling everybody you know the night before it's due saying hey we got to put this money together real quick that's why we receive every single month or every week and the and these are the realities you know we have to pay the electric bill we have to pay the rent check we have to pay our insurance we have to carry uh, a million dollars of, of liability on the church to protect really all of you guys. So in case one of you guys run your head into a wall, we can pay your, your uh, medical bills. But there are expenses to, to running a church. And the thing about it, though, is, is it just, it's hard to get behind paying the rent, right? Nobody wants to get behind paying the rent. It doesn't, it doesn't seem very holy 
to be paying the electric bill. And it's, you know, and it's, it's really hard to, to, to get behind that vision, but I encourage you, church, to stop thinking about it in those aspects, if you ever did. You will now, because I begin mentioning it. But uh, the reality is, is that you have to begin to think about what the church is accomplishing. What do you receive here? You come here and you're fed spiritually. You're taught the Word. You're growing in the Lord. You're receiving training to especially the guys that have come alongside me that I'm discipling. They're receiving specific training. And if you're not receiving training, it's because you're not asked for it. I'm willing to teach everybody to grow and become who they're called to be in the Lord. The truth is, is everyone in here has a calling on their life. You have relationships of people that you've met in this church, people that you know you can count on, people that you know you can call up in a split second and say, hey, can you come help me? If you feel like you don't have that, start calling people up and hanging out, hanging out with them outside of the church. Start interacting with each other. The truth is, is that we're a family. We shouldn't just be seeing each other on Sunday morning. We should be calling and seeing how each other are doing. We should be praying for one another. We should be spending time together because we're a family. And you receive love and acceptance at this church. I know everybody does that here. Because the truth is, all y'all messed up. Including myself. But we love you anyway. And we're going to continue to love you and stand with you. But most importantly, this place is a place where others can come in and meet Jesus. The reason I was just talking to Hector and And uh, Maria, this morning, the reason why we do anything in this church is so people can hear the gospel and receive that love of Jesus Christ, to receive salvation. Because we want that for them. We want them to have the same thing that we have, the assurance that they have an eternal life with God, that they don't have to be concerned or worried or have any hope. That's what this building represents. And it could be any building. It could be anywhere. But that's why we do the things that we do to reach people. That's why we're having this this trunk or treat, this monster mash. It's not because we like Halloween, but it's because other people do, and that's where they're at. So let's go and meet them there. So we have an opportunity to share with them. And it can be a place where other people are coming in and being trained. You know, we don't know the impact that this church is going to have long term but I am determined that it will have a long-term impact. I just got back from a pastor's conference, and what we talked about was longevity. That was the theme of the conference. And one of the things that we talked about is, is when we're dead and gone, will we have left a legacy? Will we have done something that's going to make an impact? Will Living Hope Family Church in Marana still be going 200 years from now, still raising up disciples, still sending out church plants, still teaching people, still being compassionate, still getting people saved? Will we still be there? That's why we do all of these things, is to have a long-lasting impact in people's lives. But the truth is, without your support and without your help, we can't accomplish these things. The truth is, if I can't make the lease payment, this building goes away and it makes it a whole lot more difficult for us to get people in. The whole reason we got into a building like this is because one, it had a little bit more room, and two, because when we had a church in my house, when you said, hey, you know, we, we have a church. We'd love for you to come. We're like, that's awesome. Where's your church at? And we're like, it's right here in my house. And they're, they would be like, that's awesome is what their, their voice would say, but their face looked like just so disheartened. They're like, man, what if they, they try to make me drink Kool-Aid? 
and you guys laugh, but that's exactly what John and Monique thought the first time they came in there. They told their dad, they said, if I come in there and they're rolling around on the floor, we're out of there. And I'm like, I'd be out of there too. This is why I told, stop telling God the stuff that I would do because I told God I would never go to a home church, let alone plant one there because I think they're creepy. Because it's been abused by so many people. So just a word of advice, don't tell God what you won't do. You might end up doing it. And I've tried to be clever. And he's smart. I mean, I'm, now I'm like, God, I will never pastor a church of 100,000 in Hawaii. I'm trying. I'm like, I'm, I just won't do it. Don't even ask. It's, it's not working. I don't know what the deal is. I thought I had it figured out. But the truth is, guys, with, without your support and without, your, without you getting behind the vision of what we're trying to do here, and that's reach people for Jesus, we're not going to be able to accomplish. That's why we give. It's not so Pastor Wayne can get rich. Most of you guys know I've been doing this for four and a half years. I've not received a cent. Matter of fact, most of the stuff in this church that you see around here has been out of my pocket. For a lot of reasons. One, the Lord has blessed me because I've been obedient in giving and I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there in a second. But I've been obedient in giving. So God's been a, just been amazing to me and, and, I, and, and, and my wife and I are doing better financially than we've ever done. And it's because we trust and honor Him. And we started when we were broke, when we didn't know if we were going to have enough to pay the rent check or tithe. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll just write both checks and see what happens. And we did. You guys laughed, but that's what we did. And God was so amazing. Never had a check bounce when I did that. I wanted to write an extra check to pay rent and the, 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 the cable bill. Stuff was bouncing all over the place. But when I trusted God, God took care of it. Money would come in from places I couldn't imagine. Or for some reason, the rent check, they just wouldn't like cash it that week. And it was after I got paid, it finally cleared the bank. God was so good to us. And giving is, that's the next thing to look at here. He says, store it up as he may prosper. Some of you have a, a, to be obedient to God, are going to be giving more than others. I give a lot of money, not because I'm special, but it's because God has entrusted me with a lot of money, so it's expected of me to give more. If God has given you little, you're still expected to be a steward and obedient with little. And I want you to know that if you'll do that, you will get more. This is why the widow's might was so impressive to Jesus. We're all like, she gave two pennies. Who cares? What's that going to accomplish? But that's all she had. Literally all she had. She gave away everything. None of us have ever given away everything. I know I certainly haven't. She gave everything. Because God was worth it. And like I said, it's not to be no collecting when I come. It's not last minute. We don't want to, to have to be scrambling to make sure that we can keep going. We want to be a blessing to this community. And the truth is, church, that we are unable to do a lot of the things that we want to do as a church because of the limits of our financial resources. I wish, wish, I wish, I also wish, that we could be out there every weekend and being a blessing to people. That, but we just don't have the resources to do it. And that's just a fact of the matter. So I would encourage you to, to be obedient to God, to give so we can make a greater 
impact. And like I said, this is, you guys have no idea how hard it is for me to get up here and talk about this because money is a touchy subject, one for people. You know, my luck, I'm going to come back next Sunday and half of you are gone because I asked you to give more. But uh, somewhere along the line, I thought this was a selfish thing. But it's not. Did you know that giving is actually not for the, really for the church or for the pastor? It's for you guys. And I want to be honest. I want to apologize to you guys right now if I have not taught you correctly on this or I have not impressed the importance of giving because in many ways I've been robbing from you if you didn't understand what this was all about. And for those of you who are not sure if you're supposed to be giving, I can, I can clear that up for you. Yes, you are. Even if you don't have a lot of money, even if you don't think it's something that you can afford to do, the truth is, is that we limit God's ability to bless us in certain areas of our life, particularly in finances, if we won't honor Him and be faithful to Him. I want you to know that you will be blessed by your obedience. Philippians 4, 15-17 says, And the Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Giving is about you. It's to be a blessing to you. Luke 6, 38, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Give and it will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together running over will be put in your lap for with the measure you use it'll be measured back to you when we give a little we receive a little when we give nothing we receive nothing but if we are faithful and sometimes i mean sometimes you just got to have that attitude you know you get up reach into your neighbor's pocket and give like you always wanted to except for with your own And when I or any other one of the leaders in this church are encouraging people to give, and, and I'm, I'm going to have to be, uh, this is an area that I'm going to have to grow to be able to encourage people and to, to do these things because it's hard for me. But it's an area I'm going to have to grow. But, and, but know that if, any of, if myself or any of our leaders are encouraging you to give, it's not because we're trying to get rich. Like I said, I've been doing this for four and a half years. I've not received anything. It'll probably be uh, quite a bit more time before I can even receive a regular paycheck to do, this, to do this full time. I'm not in it for the money, folks. If I was in it for the money, I would stay in the field that I'm at. I can promise you, and, and uh, John's in the same field that I am, we could make a whole lot of money doing what we do in the IT field than I can ever make standing up here. I don't do it for the money. So you, I can assure you that if you ever hear me talking to you about giving, it's not so I can get rich. Amen? But it's for your account. Because I care about you guys, and I want something better for you. Amen? In verse 3, he says, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. This is actually Paul trying to make it even more and more clear that this giving is not about him. He says, you know what? You gather the money, and when I get there, you tell me who you want to take it. It doesn't even have to be coming to my possession. This isn't for me. It's for the people that we're trying to bless. He also wanted to be on the up and up. 
He's like, I don't want there to be any confusion into to you guys thinking maybe I'm skimming off the top or I'm doing all these things. And the truth is, that's why in this church that if anybody ever wants to see our books, you're more than welcome to see our books. It's also why I'm, I'm pretty transparent about our finances in the church. And other churches you've gone to, you've probably never heard them tell you what the rent costs or, or what we make. But I've, I've told plenty of people because I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed of it. And I don't care if you know what we spend our money on. We're wise with it, is, with the church, and we want to make an impact. And if you're curious, there's really only four things. Electric, the lease, insurance. Huh? That's part of the lease. It's a triple net. And really, just like odds and ends, like helping keep the coffee up, cleaning supplies, stuff like that, that's really all we spend our money on. Everything else that you see in this church almost always has come out of my pocket because I want to be a blessing to you guys and to this community. So Paul said, pick the messengers. It'll go with, if you want me to go with them, I will. If you don't, I won't. And the reason is because Paul only cared about the well-being of his church members. He cared about the people that were going to be receiving the gift because that would be a blessing to them. And he cared about the people that were giving because he wanted them to be blessed in return for what they were doing. Amen? And then he goes on in verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So Paul is writing this letter near the end of his three-year ministry in Ephesus. He spent some time there building that church up. And, and when Paul was leaving Ephesus, he could have taken the next ship across the Aegean Sea from Ephesus to Corinth in order to deal with the problems and squelch those who said he was avoiding them. If you remember in, in verse 418 of 1 Corinthians, it says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. They thought that he wasn't even going to show up. He says, you know what, I could take this shortcut and get there sooner, but I also have other responsibilities. He says, I need to get over to Macedonia. God had opened up an area for him to minister over there. He wanted to make an impact over there as well. So he explained to them that he, yes, I am going to visit you. I will be there. But I have to go through Macedonia first. And you can actually read about him going to Macedonia. He actually did this. It's not Paul just blowing smoke up their butts. He, he visited them in Acts uh, 20 verses 1 through 2 where it talks about Paul going to Macedonia. But he says, but when I do arrive, I don't intend to just, you know, to blow in and blow out of town. I want to spend some time with you. Why does Paul do this? Because he cares about these people. He wants to help them and be with them. He says, perhaps I'll even spend the entire winter there. And the thing is, is these aren't the, man's of a, the words of a man who's afraid to deal with conflict, to deal with problems. And I have to admit, for me, one of the greatest areas that I struggle with as a pastor is holding people accountable. And the truth is, is that, that uh, we should all, one, be holding each other accountable. And especially as we grow and we're, we're, we're rising up in the ministry, there's areas that we have to be, be held accountable for what's going on. And we can't let sin run rampant. We can't, I mean, we do have to hold people accountable as Christians. And people will say, what, that's just judging. No, it's, it's not judging. And actually the truth is, is that Christians are supposed to judge one another. We're just not supposed to judge the lost. But one another, we should hold each other accountable. 
remind people what God has accomplished inside of them. And I'm always inspired by Paul who is one, both able to extend grace, but also correct when it was necessary as well. And I, I think they're both needed in a good leader. I think we'd all agree that both of that is needed in a good leader. And, and I strive to become more and more like that each and every day. And I, I love that God gives us his word so we can see how all that works out. And, and for those of you who think that only you guys have to grow and I've got it all figured out, you are dead wrong. I'm still figuring a lot of stuff out too. But I keep pressing forward. I keep getting up. And I, every time I see an area where I struggle, I resolve to get better, amen? And then in verse 8 through 9, he says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. See, Paul was staying where he was and then going through Macedonia because he recognized that God had something there for him to do. He recognized the work that he was doing held great importance. And Paul did want the Corinthian church to know that they were important to him and he intended on spending time with him, but he also had other responsibilities. He says there was an opportunity, a wide door for effective work, a wide opportunity for Paul in furthering the kingdom of God in Ephesus. And then he goes on to say, and there are many adversaries. I find this interesting because so many times we think that opposition and stuff pushing against us means that we're doing the wrong thing. It means that, oh, it would be much easier if this is what God wanted. Oh, it would just, I mean, if this is really was God's plan, there would be no problems, there would be no opposition, we'd have everything going for us, everything would be right. But Paul says, no, the adversaries are there. And it doesn't mean I'm doing the wrong thing. He says, there are adversaries. Matter of fact, many times you can look at that opposition, that flow in the opposite direction is, is not proof that you're doing something wrong, but proof that you're doing something right. The truth is, is if you're walking in the same direction of the, of the devil, he's not going to push back. But when you're walking against him, he's going to press back against you. He's going to try to get you to quit. He's going to try to make, when you make a decision for Christ, the first thing he wants to do is make you turn back on that decision. He's going to try to make your life hard. Many times when people give their lives to Christ, all of a sudden it seems like everything falls apart around them is because the devil's throwing a fit. He doesn't want you to press into God. He doesn't want you to be healed or be whole. He doesn't want you to, to be strong in the Lord. He wants you right back where you were, lost and broken. And the way that I like to think of it, has anybody ever seen those huge crosswalks in New York City where it's just like a billion people going across the crosswalk at once? Have you ever seen that one person trying to get the other way? It's almost impossible because they're going against the flow. In this world, when you're serving God, you're going to be going against the flow. You're going to feel opposition. The devil wants you to give up. But don't give up. Press on. Recognize that when you're pursuing God, sometimes it's going to be hard. Many times it's going to be hard. Almost all the time, it's going to be hard. There's nothing easy about it. But just because it's hard doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. And I also think when I look at this, there's something that, that we can all learn too is that leaders can't be everywhere at once. Did you know that the people that you, that you follow or that are leaders in your life, that are mentors in your life, they can't be everywhere at once. Paul's like, they need me in Ephesus. They need me in Macedonia. You, you need me there. I can't be everywhere at once. 
is another area that I'm having to learn in my own life for the leaders that are, that are above me. Because my pastor and I probably don't, not probably, we don't meet as often as I would like. And sometimes I feel like, man, he's like, it's like he's forgotten about me. He doesn't reach out to me. But I have to remember that he's, responsibilities are much greater than mine, particularly in the, in, the, in the kingdom of heaven. His church is bigger than mine. He's a very busy man. And I have to remind myself not to get offended and to not be upset because he can't be everywhere at the same time. And I pray that you will also hope and understand with me when I can't be meeting with everybody at the same time. And extend grace to me as I try to be a leader and a mentor and a, and a good pastor to everybody that's in this room. Particularly as the number grows, it gets harder, amen? In verse 10, he says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. See, Paul was actually no stranger to this dilemma that he couldn't be at all these places at once. So in order to make sure that they were taken care of, he sent Timothy to be with him there until he was gone, until he was able to make it. And he asked them, he said, I want you to treat Timothy just as you would treat me. Accept him just as you would accept me. Don't despise him. Don't think of him as somehow lesser. But instead, receive him like you would receive me. And the reality is, this is why I'm raising up men and women around me who can step up into those roles, into leadership roles, so that they can help me do the things that I need to do for this church. To make sure that that everyone here gets the care and attention that they deserve. Because the truth is, you all deserve to, be, to have that care and attention. But just like I'm only one person, I'm raising up men and women to help me. And, and you know, one of the things that used to drive me crazy at the old church is that, that Pastor Mike would offer to pray for people, and we'd bring up all the leaders, all the life group leaders, and we'd be up here all ready to pray for people, but everyone wanted to get prayed for by Pastor Mike. Like somehow his is the only prayer that made it all the way to heaven. And what was happening is, is we get this idea in our head that, oh no, only the main guy can do it. We begin to, to despise the people that are, that are, even if you're not outwardly doing it, that's the idea. You have this idea in your head that they're somehow lesser. I want you to know the leaders of this church, Joseph and Hector who's disappeared, and John and, and Maria and Kathy, and Monique, where's Monique? Monique, I think they're back there teaching. All those people that are leaders in this church, they can pray for you. God hears their voice just as much as I am. And as they're training up and growing, I'm going to begin to utilize them more to, to act in that pastoral capacity for everybody in the church. So don't despise them, guys. Matter of fact, give them a lot of grace as they're learning and growing. Just as you guys have all given me. And the truth is, is that we, we love you guys and want nothing but the best for all of you. And we want to lo- walk alongside you and encourage you. I actually hope you guys all understand the reason why we sacrifice the way we do. And it's not just me. But you guys know I work full time, 40, 50 hours a week, plus do this. 
John and Monique both work full time, but they're leading the youth and they're, they're here for music practice. Hector and Maria both work full time, but they're here leading the youth that are here every Wednesday, every Sunday. They're here on Monday. It's a great sacrifice to serve in the kingdom of God. Like I said, it's not easy. But I hope you recognize that when we do this, it's because of you. It's because we love and care about you. You, just like when Jesus went to the cross, he said that the, for the joy set before him, he endured the pain. You guys are the joy set before us. The reason why we endure what we do endure is because we care about you. And we care about the people that live in this city. Amen? And he says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. You know, the last of the questions that the Corinthian church had kind of concerned Apollos. And they were inquiring and wondering about his return visit. Is, he, is, is there a possibility that he's going to return? And it's, it's likely that he ministered to the Corinthian church before, one, for this question, and two, if you remember in the beginning, they were like, people were like, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Jesus. And there was all these divisions in the church. And Paul says, you know what? Even though that it seems like that there was a conflict between the two of them because the, the, the factions in the church were fighting, I'm of Apollos, I'm of, I'm of Paul, he says, you know what, I have talked to him. And we are co-laborers in the Lord. And I, I did ask him to come, but like Paul, he couldn't come at this moment. He said, I asked him to come, I urged him to come, but he wasn't able to come. But he will come when he has opportunity. And then in verse 13, we begin with some of the greatest advice that Paul gives to any Christian. He says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. This isn't just instructions for the Corinthian church. This is to all of us. And to be watchful is to be on guard. There is an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion ready to devour you. We have to be watchful. The, 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 the Scripture says that we are not... Uh, uh, it's, we're not... Oh, what's the word? I went blank. Yes, ignorant, ignorant of his schemes. We, we, we know that the devil is trying to, to destroy us, to make us fall back, to destroy the work of God. We're not ignorant of that. And as, as I even had it written down, as Christians, we are not ignorant of his schemes. <laughs> Crying out loud. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if we're not watchful and diligent, we can be swept away. And then he says, stand firm. That means don't give up your ground. That means don't give up. It means don't compromise. Unfortunately, for many Christians in the United States, this is kind of our anthem, is compromise. And so many Christians compromise for a multitude of reasons. They want to fit in. They want to accommodate their feeling. They want to justify what they're doing. Or they want to avoid persecution. Let's not be a people that compromise. Amen? And then he says, act like men. This means to fulfill the role that God intended you to fulfill. As men, we're to step up and to be the spiritual leaders of our households. We should be praying for our families. We need to make sure we're submissive to Christ. We need to be teaching our children. 
We need to be covering our wives with the Word and cherishing them, praying for them. And we need to be serving our wives and children. And as a woman, to act like a man, with that, a man, that just means, if you're, first of all, serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all you have. If you're married, support and serve your husband. Stand behind him. The truth is, is that, uh, that if he's doing what he's supposed to do, he has a lot of responsibility on his shoulder. He's going to be the one answering to God for how his kids grew up, for how his, his family is taken. I mean, we, as men, we have a lot of responsibility for the spiritual well-being of our family. And he says, be strong. To be strong is to be able to overcome. There's going to be a lot of things that you're not going to feel like you're strong enough to do. There's going to be a lot of things when the enemy comes against you where it'd just be easier to stop. Sometimes it's just easier to not get up and go to church in the morning. Sometimes it's just easier to not go on a Wednesday night. Sometimes it's just easier to not get up a little bit earlier to spend time in the Word and pray. Sometimes it's just easier to not go to a men's meeting or a women's meeting on Saturday morning. Sometimes it's just easier to not serve God. So be strong. Overcome that stuff. And you're not alone. There's many Sundays I don't want to come to church. But I do it anyway. There's many Sundays that I don't feel like worshiping. But I do it anyway. There's many days that I don't want to call you guys. But I do it anyway. That's just being honest with you. You know, the, one of the greatest stories of this church is, is, is George Fuentes. And he came on the very first Sunday in my house. And, and it's amazing how God worked out because he brought in John and Monique as well. But he thought he was just coming on Sunday to say thanks for visiting him in the hospital. And then God got a hold of him. He's been with us ever since. But I visited him in the hospital because he was, he was feeling sick. And I got a call from the Tucson church. And this is, the church hadn't started here. I was living on this side of town because I lived over here. They had me do those things on this side of town. I did not want to go. I'll be honest. I had just been working all day. No, I've told you that before. <laughs> I didn't want to go. But I decided I would be obedient to my leaders and, and to God and do it. And I'm so thankful I did because I have one of the most wonderful relationships with this man that was developed all because... I was strong instead of taking the easy way out. Amen? And then most importantly, Paul said, let all that you do be done in love. This whole letter has been arguing for unity. Paul has been arguing for treating others as more important than yourself. He even said, you know what? Give up freedoms that you have if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble. The truth is, is, if we always operated in love, if we just considered other people as more important than ourselves, then all of this stuff would fall into place naturally. Amen? Let everything that we do be done in love. And then he says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts to Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and 
because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. Now Paul begins to encourage and to, to kind of give praise to those who are fellow laborers in the Lord, men and women who are serving God, who are listening to God, who are being obedient. And he praised them for their service. Because the truth is, they're going to have an eternal impact. Even as the stuff that we do today will have an eternal impact. If you think about it, the, the impact of these guys, is, is there written down in a Bible that we all read today that's used to encourage and instruct us? The impact that these guys have is huge because they encourage us to do the same thing. And it's good to praise those people that are working hard in the church and co-laboring. And I'm so thankful that almost everybody in this church is doing so. I mean, I look out here and, and almost everybody is doing something in the church from running the sound booth in the back to the, to the, to the youth and the, the presentation software and the men's meeting and Norma and, and George and Anna help clean the church and Joseph is kind of my right-hand man and Jen and Cliff offer up their house for the, uh, the, the, the fellowship that we have every month and, and Tony's working as a greeter and she has worked on the worship team and you work as a greeter and George, like I said, George helps out and we have all the people in the back. Almost everybody is involved in something. They're serving the Lord and I, I just want to say thank you guys so much for serving God and serving the kingdom of heaven and you are making an impact because you're touching so many lives. And you never know how many lives you're going to touch as they, as they start coming in as well. So we have new visitors come in. I'm so thankful for that. And you should be honored for that. Because like I said, it's not easy. Sometimes you don't want to get up and teach the kids. Maybe never, to be honest. Kids are awful. But uh, <laughs> I love you, son. You're my favorite of all the awful kids. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 19. <laughs> the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and, Pr and Prisca together with the church in their house send you hearty greeting in the Lord. And all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Finally, as Paul begins to close the letter, the, the letter, the letter, geez Louise, we see an emphasis on relating to one another. You know what? Love these people. These guys are saying hi, you know, greet them, love one another. I mean, we can do without the holy kiss. But other than that, man, love one another. Care about people. Well, if you want, John will give you a holy kiss if you want one. But uh, yeah, let's love and honor one another. Let's care about one another. Crying out loud, call somebody on a Tuesday, see how they're doing. See if there's anything you can do for them. Pray for them. Go out and have dinner with them. Or crying out loud, everybody stop being so stinking busy and make time for one another. I have to be honest with you. This is me bearing my heart if that's all right. And it's not just people here, it's people everywhere. When I try to get together and do stuff, they're like, I'm just too busy. Like, you have no idea what busy is actually like. Try being me for a while. Make some stinking time for one another. And that's the thing is we have to make time. Because out of all the stuff that we're doing here, the relationships that we have with one another is what's important. That's one of the most important things about church is actually spending time with like-minded people, developing relationships, developing friendships, being loyal to one another. 
taking care of one another, caring for one another. That's one of the most important things that will happen in this church. And then finally, to close the letter, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. One, we see that... So Paul likely had a, a scribe or one of the guys that was with him write this letter. Matter of fact, most people that have read the actual letter say that when, when Paul writes, his Greek is atrocious and it's hard to read. And, but Paul, another letter, he says, see how big the letters I write with my own hand. But Paul says, I write this greeting with my own hand. He had somebody, he dictated to somebody to write the, less, but the, write the rest. But he wanted to be personal with him and said, look, I'm going to finish this with my own hand. Just as another thing to show that he, that he did care about them. He was sincere with them. And then he reiterates, he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be a curse. You're like, well, that's pretty harsh. But it's, it's, not, it's not Paul saying, curse you. He's just pointing out a reality. Because the truth is, if you don't have Jesus, you are under a curse. You're under the curse of sin and death. But I thank God that Jesus came to become the curse for us when he hung on that tree. And as a result, we are free from the curse. And everyone has that opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they're also free to reject that gift. It's a choice they have to make. And finally, he ends with an expression of love for them. Grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. It's tough as a pastor to correct people, to rebuke people. Maybe not all pastors, but at least it is for me. Truth is, I don't even like doing it with my kids. Because any of you that are parents, you know, kids don't get it when we say it hurts, it hurts us more than it hurts you. But as a parent, you understand that. And as a pastor, it, it works the same way. I don't think this was fun for Paul, but it was necessary. The same with all correction. And he does it because he loves them. And as we go through this stuff, I, I, I pray that as I deal with the members of, of, of my church, all of you, that if there ever comes a point where that's necessary, that, that you would understand and never question my love and care for you. Amen? But guys, as we are ending this letter, let's take the stuff that we've learned so far to heart. Let's be united. Let's be like a family. And let's consider others as more important than ourselves. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.